right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. Today on the show, we are talking about Maestro, about Leonard Bernstein, starring, written, directed Bradley Cooper. It's his uh, second time out as a director after A Star is Born, and it's a big one. And joining me for it, we've got Joe Black back on the show. And uh, we have a lot of great puzzle pieces to get into. This one went in some uh, interesting directions, and we get into a lot of good stuff here. So that's coming up in a moment. Before we get to it, I, of course, want to remind you to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. This episode will be coming out right around the end of the year, so I just wanted to thank everybody for an amazing year of piecing it together. Uh, You might be hearing this on the Patreon a little bit early. If you are, thank you for being a subscriber over there. And if you're hearing this at the end of the year, you could have heard this like a month ago. Check it out. The Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from piecing it together, awesome movie year, and from my music career, Lots of great stuff over there. Again, patreon.com slash bydavidrosen. And uh, with that said, let's get on to Maestro. All right, it's time to talk about Maestro, and Joe Black is with us. Joe, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. I've seen Maestro twice now, so, you know. Amazing. I'm giddy as a school kid. Yeah. You know, I I have a bunch, obviously, as a composer, I have a bunch of composer friends I could have had on this one. But, um, you know, you have just been so vocally excited about this movie. And plus, I first met you uh, in Bradley Cooper's previous directorial effort, A Star is Born, when I had you here on the show for that one. So when you said that you wanted to do this movie, I was like, you know what? Joe has earned it. Let's have Joe back on for this one. Oh, so. I appreciate it. Well, it's funny because like what I'm like the most, most of the complaints I'm hearing about this one are from people who are like, it should have been more about his, his composing. And I'm like, should it? I mean, like how <laughs> we have a lot of musician movies out there. Maybe some will even end up in our puzzle yeah. pieces, but like, we don't need that movie. I don't yeah. Think. How many times can you just watch like an old man sitting at a desk, like scribbling? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, g- give us the juice. You know, give exactly. us give us the Bradley Cooper hooking up with every hot guy possible. Give us, you know, yeah, that's what we're here <laughs> Absolutely. for. Absolutely, damn right. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, I, there's going to be a lot. I, I have a feeling like we might have some tangents and whatnot with this one because it does go kind of in a lot of different mm-hmm. directions. But um, I do want to talk one quick thing before we get to your first puzzle piece, and that is that this was originally supposed to be a Scorsese project. He's still on as a producer, but he was supposed to direct this before he exited for The Irishman. What do you think uh, this as a Scorsese film? I have a feeling that as as great as Bradley Cooper did on this and both of his directorial efforts, I think it would have been an interesting Scorsese project. I think that it would have been an interesting Scorsese project 25 years ago. Um, mm. I, I, I don't think he's biting in the same way he used to be. And in fact, there's a scene in this movie where uh, uh, Leonard Bernstein and his wife are fighting and uh, it's on Thanksgiving. And in the in the windows outside, you can see the Thanksgiving floats. You know, like literally yeah, the parade yeah. passing them by. And um, yeah. it brought to mind uh, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon in the scene where Leo is drinking the, the, the serum or whatever with the fire in the windows behind him. And I remember seeing right, that in the right. theater thinking the fire in Killer Moon thinking that is so lame that that's like film school <laughs> level. I'm not into this at all. 
And then watching it in Maestro with the parade floats, I was like, this is like beyond brilliant. And and yeah. the fact that he enters the scene with the Snoopy doll and then Snoopy is the last thing to go by, which brings him back into his family. Whew. Bradley Cooper, <laughs> when I see his name it pop up at the end of that, I'm like, he showed he really showed Martin Scorsese. Uh, he showed the world that Martin Scorsese is 80 years old. Like he mm. really did. I, you know, but it would have been better than Spielberg making it. That's for damn sure. Yeah, I mean, that would be a whole other direction, but uh, that that might be a little bit closer to people saying that it should have been him just writing the songs, but I don't, I don't know about that. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think Bradley Cooper is so exciting as a filmmaker between these two movies, and uh, let's get into it. Let's get into Maestro. What do you have for your first puzzle piece? Okay, the first one I was going to do um, is Walk the Line, um, mm-hmm. and the reason Walk the Line, when you know there's a list of you know 600,000 you know, biofilms you can do is I think what makes Walk the Line as amazing as it is, um, is that it focuses specifically on the love story between mm-hmm. him and June. Like yeah. that's the that's the movie is like everything leading to them falling in love. Yeah. And I feel like that's what this movie was about. Like, cause again, like we can just play the, you know, the 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 Johnny Cash hit list, you know, like a Bohemian Rhapsody or something. But like right. it, it, that's not as powerful as watching two really like damaged, confused and brave people butting heads until they finally come together. You know what I mean? Like that's sure. That's much more interesting. And I, and I love that. That's what this movie did. I love that. That's the, like, this is the love story between, you know, Leonard and his wife. Like it, it just is. And, um, and I'm glad that Carrie Mulligan finally like turned in a performance worthwhile. Cause I haven't liked her maybe even ever. And in this, she's mm. she's like Jenna Rollins level good. Like she's so, and it's kind of her movie in the second half at least. It is. She's first build, which mm-hmm. is surprising. No, well that yeah. that doesn't surprise me, and it do, kind of does the inverse of what uh, uh, Stars Born did, where the first half of Stars Born is about uh, Allie, about Lady Gaga, and then the second half was about Bradley Cooper. They kind of flip sure. flop it in this, where the second half it's totally her movie. You know, she gets the last yeah. shot of the movie, and rightfully so. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that's a great one to kick it off with. And also like, you know, and I do have uh, one or maybe two music films mm-hmm. on my list, but I, uh, you know, that one specifically, like there's so much, you know, heartache and pain in the music and so much in the life. And so like, it's a, it's a, a good comparison to what's going on here in Maestro with everything that they went through in their relationship, even though it is a full on love story the whole time. I mean, it's certainly not a love story without its, you know, big ups and downs so it definitely fits with the bigness of his music the music that he made and and conducted right and and it's funny because walk the line what makes that movie i I, that's like top 10 for me that movie i know it sounds insane that of like all movie history and my top 10 is walk the line but part of the well part of the reason is that that movie is so scripted but like scripted in the way that die hard is scripted where it's like everything done perfectly all the cliches all the buttons hit perfectly. And, you know, as a writer, I still think of myself when it comes to filmmaking primarily as a writer, there are certain lines in that movie that, you know, you just can't top. Like when he's proposing to mm-hmm. her, you know, walk the line, you know, I know that I said things that I hurt you, but I promise to never do or say those things again. I just want to take care of you. You're my best friend. Marry me. Just like right on the money, you know? And damn. But then, but in this movie, <laughs> it's, mo- it's very loose. You know what I mean? There's like a loose natural quality to it. Um, so I, I think that's an exciting differentiation between the two that Bradley Cooper yeah. is, was able to capture more of a, 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 a free falling kind of life feeling than walk the line. Yes. 
Yeah, well, that looseness actually is a great uh, setup for my first puzzle piece, a movie that I know you love just as much as I do. Uh, it's The Beach Bum from Harmony Corinne. <laughs> this movie, uh, to me, so first of all, it's this guy just living for his impulses and whatever will make him happy in the moment, that's what he's doing. Whether it is making music, whether it's sex, whether it's drugs, whether it's good old fashioned family time, whether it's cheating on his wife with all these men who he has, uh, you know, permission for, but, uh, the movie starts off with a quote, and I didn't write it down word for word, so I'm just paraphrasing here, but it's basically about in order to create, you need absolute freedom, and that's kind of like the whole point of the movie, and uh, that that's exactly the beach bum. I mean, he is just living his life to let things in and to then put them out, and whether or not uh, Moondog is exactly a great artist like Leonard Bernstein is, uh, you know, that you know that's up to interpretation, but I think he is. Uh, they are both, <laughs> yeah, he's amazing, but they are both just living to create and living to experience life so they can uh, draw off that for their work that they create. Mm-hmm. And I think that similarly to Moondog, that's a great piece. Also an episode you and I did together. Um, yes. I think, uh, how about that agro drift? Next one. Um, anyways. Uh, oh, can't wait. Yeah, me either. <laughs> um, no, but like Moondog, you know, halfway through the movie, Bradley Cooper, well, Leonard starts talking about how he's disappointed with how little output he's actually made in his life. Yeah. And like, that's when yeah. he starts to kind of spiral where he just starts like getting depressed and indulging in things to try to. To, you know what I mean? Because he wants to create more. Sure. And that's what happens to Moondog in in yep. this, too, is that he feels like he feels like he's gotten so trapped in his, you know, lifestyle and he doesn't know how to create anymore. You know, and and uh, yeah, but like there's an anarchy, I think, to um to Moondog as a person. And what I like about Leonard is that there's an anarchy to his music and that's what's inside of him. You, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And yeah. And that his wife is more afraid of that anarchy inside of him than anything else, you know? Um, sure, I, sure. When I saw the test screening for this movie, I was worried that people were going to misinterpret the movie and think that it was like saying that it was trying to imply that Bradley Cooper's like, you know, homosexual lifestyle is what was keeping him from happiness. No, 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 no. That's not what it was. You know what I mean? It was mm -hmm. about finding the balance between fulfillment and indulgence and responsibility and living. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's sure. about finding that balance. And, um, yeah. And, and like the opening quote of this movie, the Leonard Bernstein quote, where it says, art isn't about answering questions, it's about provoking them. You know, mm -hmm. um, I think that I think that the beach bum does that, too, where like the, yeah. the beach bum isn't about whether or not what Moondog is doing is right, whether or not this is like hedonistic. What you know, it's 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 about opening up the question of am I really living or am I just indulging? Yeah, sure, sure. Absolutely. Well, let's go on to another piece. What do you got next? Uh, well, you know, we talked about uh, old Marty Scorsese. Um, I, mm -hmm. I uh, Raging Bull. Um, okay, Raging yeah. Bull uh, is one that uh, I find because there's there's an operatic poetry to that movie that this one has too. That, but similarly, where that one, like I said earlier, feels wild and untamed. So sure. you know, and and. And the the music too in in this movie, I'll get into that a little bit later. But just the musical sequences themselves feel like the boxing sequences in mm. in Raging Bull, where it's all about like the poetry of emotion versus like the technical accuracy and things like. Although I read that Bradley Cooper spent years practicing being a conductor to actually uh, sure. do this movie, yeah, and uh, it, and it shows, you know. 
Yeah. Um, that's always kind of a funny pet peeve of mine. Like when you see a conductor in a movie and you're just like, mm-hmm, okay. You know, whether it's, uh, what's his name? Rex Harrison in, uh, in, uh, unfaithfully yours or, Oh God, love him. John Cassavetes in his etude in black episode of, of, uh, uh, Columbo where he's just like waving his arms like an idiot, you know? And we can't tell. We don't know. With John, you can. Well, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. kind of the thing that like, you know, Cooper captures like that Cassavetes, you know, free spirit, but he's a little more disciplined. That was the thing about John is that that was his attitude. He's like, they don't care. You know, so you watch like, you watch like John Cassavetes on the show, Johnny Staccato, where he's playing piano and it's just like insane looking, but he doesn't care because it's all about being the moment. Cooper is a little more authentic. He's a little more, you know, um, and, and I think that that does wonders for this movie, but I also think that's why it's throwing people a little bit for a loop, especially in the second half where they're like, because mm-hmm. the first half's more surreal, kind of like Raging Bull, too, where the first half of Raging Bull is very surreal, yeah. very, you know, but then it, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier, and it starts to feel less cinematic as it goes, you know? Um, mm, yeah. Plus, I guess we could also just say because it's in black and white, mostly. I don't know. Like yeah, that's, sure. I mean, it's a bit yeah. of a cop-out, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great one though. Uh, yeah, they're they're both characters that you're just wondering because, like, I I didn't know Bernstein's story really uh, going into this, and like, you know, I'm wondering the whole time, like, is, is this guy gonna like flame out hard? Mm, you know, because mm-hmm. that's like definitely what you think uh, in Raging Bull too. Uh, so you know, definitely uh, two characters that you're scared for them, but you're also scared for everybody around them. Like, where you know, where is this going to bottom out? Yeah, so, and the ending to this is very like. Like the very end of the movie where he's dancing. And when I saw it originally, I didn't re- I thought he was in a club dancing with that student of his, but he's not. Mm-hmm. He's in the he's in the the uh, the orchestra hall like you. Oh, you, really? Yeah. I see, yeah. I've only seen it once. I didn't notice you, you, that. In the, wow. They do two shots. They do the one with them dancing slow together. And then the one of him just like dancing by himself with his arms up and sure. you see all the seats yeah. behind him. So it's another one of those like surrealist kind of like uh, the dance at the beginning of the movie. Um, yeah. And uh, okay. In the version I saw, it went right from that to the shot of Carrie Mulligan in black and white looking at the camera. Mm. In the version that it is now, because I saw a test screening, in the version it is now, in between that shot of him dancing and Carrie Mulligan shot, they put the end of his piano interview. Right? Like, right. That came right. before all of that in the version I saw. It came okay. before he goes to school. But I like that because th- that was the one thing in the original version. I found the ending in the test screening version to be a little judgmental. In a way, mm. almost like she's like, mm, be careful. You know what I mean? But that that's right. not that's not a fair takeaway. Unlike, you know, and same for Raging Bull, like Raging Bull leaves you in that place of like, he's a piece of shit. But like, who are we to say what he deserves? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I will go to uh, the music movie that I had on my list, which is Rocket Man, the Elton John movie. Because this movie comes alive so much when uh, these magical realism performances come up. Some of them are real, and they're just so larger than life that it's it's incredible. Uh, but some of them are, you know, more made up and, and, you know, made to be more cinematic and whatnot. And uh, whether or not some of it is imagined or some of it is a mixture of the two, like, it's kind of hard to tell. And Rocketman is a movie that, like, really played with that. And that's when that movie really was at its best mm-hmm. and when it came alive, when it was becoming a big Elton John performance, really, in how it cr- crafted its uh, musical sequences. So, uh, yeah, Rocketman, I, I really liked it for that. And that's something that I took away from Maestro as well, was those those performances were just incredible. Yeah, I, I mean, Rocketman, eh, it was kind of forgettable for me. But, 
you know, it's interesting. Those sequences in Rocket Man, it was amazing to me because I was like, how has nobody thought of that before? Like, how has nobody right. thought of like using the art? You know what I mean? Like, like that's in a movie. And but it didn't work for me because I was like, well, but Elton John, like famously doesn't write his songs. You, you know what I mean? Like, 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 so yeah. like when, when they're having him do crocodile rock when he's a kid, I'm like, he didn't write that. Like, that's not him. That's not his expression, you know, but, right, but I right. did like the sentiment, the idea of it. Um, the idea. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think that plays out much better in this. The West side story o- overture is like one of my favorite moments in this movie. Yeah. And, right and, on. and also the, our town, the dance at the beginning. Yeah. Just, you know, yeah. The the, the, the millennial in me wanted to be like, oh, like Hail Caesar. And then I was like, oh, no, like our town. You're right. <laughs> what, what do you got for another piece? Manhattan. Okay. Woody Allen's Manhattan. There's so many compositions, shot compositions in this movie that are like directly taken from Manhattan. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which makes sense because, you know, Woody Allen in that movie is specifically trying to capture you know, the lost feeling of New York in the forties through the sixties, you know, like that's sure, you know, yeah. visually. And, and that's what Bradley Cooper is doing too. Like the, the shot where he gets the phone call at the beginning that he's going to be, you know, uh, taking over that night, like the very beginning, that's right out of Manhattan, that shot up until yeah. it becomes like the super, you know, crazy tracking shot through the ceiling and all that, but that initial composition. And then, Oh, my, one of my favorite shots in the whole movie is um the shot at the end of where we're at the end of the vineyard. And we see them at the pool, like in the far distance, having their big argument. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's another Manhattan composition. Um, and also just the use of his music, how bombastic it is and how engulfing it is, plays similarly to me as like the Gershwin music in Manhattan. Um, sure. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I definitely see a heavy Manhattan influence in this movie, actually. Yeah, I... Uh... I, I haven't seen Manhattan in so many years, um, but I didn't put it on my list, but I was actually thinking of the uh, like the olden times sequences in Midnight in Paris mm-hmm. whenever they go back in time. So, I mean, you know, going along with Woody Allen there, but, uh, you know, especially when you're, you know, talking about how some of it feels magical realism, uh, you know, it definitely kind of fits in with that as well. Um, well, it's also about yeah, betrayal. Yeah. Like that movie is about betrayal and it's also about like, you know, like this one is is still inappropriately taboo. Like he's dating the 17 year old at the beginning, you know, like, yeah, like this, this also is about what was taboo at the time. You know what I mean? Like, like there's like that taboo kind of quality to it as well. And it's more taboo that they're in an open marriage in the sixties than that he's gay. You know what I mean? Like, so sure. There's, there's that little kind of like, but you can't like, again, you can't pass judgment on it. If you're the filmmaker, you can't pass any Mm -hmm. kind of judgment. That's why what's his name? Um, Clint Eastwood tried to do this with uh, Jay Edgar. He he like I remember when that came out. It was like, what do you, what right do you have telling a story about a man who was gay or whatever? And Clint Eastwood was like, what do I care that he was gay? That doesn't matter. Yeah. And it's like, I get where you're coming from, but you're incorrect. It does matter. Like it does matter that yeah, he was gay. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, but that was his like passive aggressive way of being like, I don't want to talk about that gay stuff. You know? And Bradley Cooper, like again, you have to come at it completely without judgment, not only as a filmmaker but as an actor. Um, yeah, and like yeah. I know that people are giving him guff for this one, saying it's a vanity piece. It's like, yeah, you know what? But all you people are the same people that were like, "The Irishman's the best movie ever." No, it's not. That was a fucking vanity piece. You know, this has real truth in it and real power and life in it. For God's sake, 
Well, you know, just to go on a quick little tangent, um, <laughs> I think vanity piece is a fair uh, definition, except this is really fucking good. Right. And if somebody has the goods, fuck it. Yeah. Right. I, I think of it <laughs> like know? the Incredible Hulk, where it's like, like, like inside, he's just like this raging monster of anger, but then he finds a way to like utilize it for good. And like Bradley Cooper yeah. is somebody who's always struggled with his like, he, I mean, he's the most handsome, talented, charismatic person like in the right. world. You know, and like he's got an ego this, that makes uh, Leo's look like an ant by comparison, but he uses his power for good, you know, and right. Leo uses his power yeah. for himself. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm team Cooper on this one. Let him be vain yeah, if he's right that, on. like you said, like Sean Penn, you're going to be like, hey, Sean Penn, you, you, you're too good at acting. Sit down. <laughs> we want Leo, damn it. Did you see him scowl in yeah. that movie for two hours? Wasn't that powerful? No. He does scowl a lot. Yeah, so and he wears the fake teeth. Not as much as I was but, uh, scowling watching that lack of a performance. <laughs> oh, boy. Sorry, Flower Moon. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to go. Uh, th- this year, I don't know if you've uh, you know been following my letterbox reviews, but this has been the year of Ken Russell for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have just been loving every one of these Ken Russell movies I'm watching. I just recently watched two for the Cult Worthy Cinema Podcast, a guest appearance over there. And both of them came to mind for individual scenes in this uh, while while watching this movie. Uh, the first one, uh, Salome's Last Dance, mm-hmm. uh, which watching uh, Leonard Bernstein, just watching his musical be performed with such glee just reminded me so much of, of what happens in that movie uh, with, with Oscar Wilde watching his play being uh, being performed for him in, in this whorehouse, um, which totally different kind of movie, but just the glee with which he's watching his own stuff be performed. Then the other one I was watching is Gothic, which again, totally different kind of movie, but the idea of we're getting this uh, fictionalized version of what might have happened in that house with a lot of drugs around mm. uh, while Mary Shelley was writing Frankenstein while hanging out at Lord Byron's house and all this shit was going on. But uh, this great work of art was born out of it. And in the sequences when uh, he's writing West Side Story, uh, writing the music for it, you know, you're getting a little bit of a taste of that, of that idea of this is maybe how it was going down you know, cinematically anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Um, I'm surprised you didn't put, what's it called? Liz, Listomania on there too. Yeah. I mean, like, sure, isn't that like not? similar, like the composer who's just like yes. a fucking party animal. Yeah, there you go. That one, let's throw that on the list yeah. as well. And Listomania absolutely rules. So. He's, he's a real blind spot for me. Um, because I saw, uh, what's the one with William Hurt altered States and it, you know, it was mm-hmm. fine. And then I saw um, Crimes of Passion, which I absolutely adored. Um, Mm -hmm. But then I read the review for The Devils that Roger Ebert gave. I don't know why I read it. And the way he described it, I was like, that's how I feel about like every movie that David likes. That like, like, um, and and it made me never want to watch another Ken Russell movie as long as I lived. His review was basically like, oh, congratulations in... You know, it's the 1970s and you've made a movie about how like the church was bad 400 years ago. How brave of you. Ooh, you know, yeah, like that's yeah. how I feel about like all these like 
dream scenario and like you know like all these like spike jones movies like oh good for you like poor (laughs) things it's like oh does she does she have a black girlfriend at the end Ooh, how like controversial like i not not gritty enough for joe not 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 real enough enough. for joe no it's not yeah well that's it's not truthful (laughs) yeah not truthful well that you know when i went to go see this screening bradley cooper did a q a afterward and that's what somebody the guy asked him he was like how do you know to make them that you made this movie the right way. Like, how do you know mm-hmm. to hire these people, these, the, the makeup person, the editor, the, how do you know? And he said that the only way you can do any movie right is to honor truth from start to finish, sure. whether it's writing yeah. it or editing or a costume or whatever, you have to honor truth. And it sounds simple yeah. and it sounds like that's what everyone does, but it's not, it's not simple. Mm-hmm. And it's not what everyone does because it's not simple. Actually, no, it is simple, and that's why people don't do it, because, you know, if it was hard, everybody would be doing it. You know, like, that's, that's how people work. But, um, right, but right. yeah, like, there's a, there's, a, there's a truth to this movie that, like, I don't know. I, sorry, tangent from Ken Russell. But, yeah, I've never seen any of those movies because I haven't seen any other Ken Russell movies because Roger Ebert's yeah. review really spoke to me. But I did love Crimes of Passion. Have you seen that one yet? There you go. Yes, okay. absolutely. It's great. Yeah, I was following your reviews this year, and I actually have a couple Ken Russell movies that rented right now that I've had for months that I have not watched because of your reviews. Nice. But Crimes of Passion has maybe the greatest last line of all time when he's like in like this, in the like sex and oh. that thing, and he's like, and we just fucked each other's brains out. Like, and that's how the movie ends. <laughs> yes. When I saw it in the theater, I stood and I was like, yes, like that. Yeah. I couldn't have imagined like a more like badass ending for that movie than, yeah. you know, incredible, incredible. Oh man. Let's, uh, let's go on to another piece. <laughs> what do you got next? Um, well, I mean, I guess I could do a kind of a cheap shot one. Well, no, I liked what you were saying in your last one about like what it must've been like to create and stuff like that. Like, um, so I've got one, uh, Vincent and Theo. It's um, okay. it's a, a Robert Altman movie that was actually a mini series and a movie. They did like two cuts of it, and it's got Tim Roth as Vincent Van Gogh, and it's about him and his brother and his relationship with his brother. And it was kind of like a return to form for Altman. Um, mm-hmm. It was the movie he did right before like The Player, which was like okay. brought him back into the into the A list. But he had. He was kind of in a desert for like 10 years with people. He made a movie every year of the 80s, but they were like weird play adaptations that nobody saw. And they're not very good. Like that's the that's a really rough period for Robert Altman. There's a couple gems in there like O.C. and Stiggs and uh, Fool for Love and my favorite Popeye. But like it's the dark period. But this movie um, is about like the pain that Van Gogh was going through. Um, Like. You know, like literally you see him like living in an attic, pissing in a bucket, you know, you know, entertaining prostitutes. You see there's a powerful scene in Vincent and Theo where he just gets a thing of paint thinner and he just you see Mm -hmm. him drink it and you just watch him try to hold it down so that it'll kill him. He's just trying. And then finally he throws up and he's so mad at himself for throwing up because he wanted to die. Yeah. But there's a (laughs) there's a sequence in that movie that's so amazing. He's in a sunflower field. And he's trying to paint mm. these sunflowers. And the way that Altman moves his camera and the way that the music mixes with it, it's like these, these flowers are almost taunting him, attacking him cynically, like making fun of his work. Like you can feel his dissatisfaction and his, you know, and he just starts turning the whole painting into a fucking mockery right there until he finally gets mm. mad and stabs through the canvas. And, you know, and that's how I felt watching Bernstein, you know, like not only when he was conducting, but also when he was trying to compose, I watched, I was, I loved watching him 
things not being good enough. And that's what was yeah, making yeah. him depressed. Like nothing was fulfilling enough, you know? Sure. And, uh, sure. Yeah. I, I, I have, you haven't seen Vincent and Theo. I don't think. I haven't. And it sounds great from how you're describing it, but also like just to go back to my last piece, like combining with what you're just saying there, one of the things I love about Ken Russell so much is that like mix of highbrow and lowbrow, mm -hmm. like perfectly putting them together. And that sounds like that yes. in Vincent and Theo, the way you're describing it. So. Absolutely. Because the truth is we live our lives lowbrow. Like, you know what sure. I mean? Like, that's yeah. just the absolute truth. Like we live our, like, that's why Adam Sandler is like my favorite uh, person in the business because he, yeah. he fundamentally understands that life is lowbrow. You, you know what I mm -hmm. mean? And, and like, that's why when I see like in like an art film, like a little bit of potty humor, it's like, oh, shut up. Mm. Like you use the <laughs> toilet every day. You know what I mean? For one end or the other, like, get out of here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like seriously, yeah, I sure. But, but yeah, I, I and I do want to clarify, like Ken Russell, like, like he's obviously great you know what i mean it's yeah. just shit that i'm not interested in mm -hmm. you know i'm not interested in that kind of perspective you know um yeah, yeah I, I, i'm just not so anyways I, i'd like to i'd like to hear your thoughts on salome's last dance if you ever get around to that you one. know what you've recommended it i've recommended enough movies to you most of which you've liked but you know mm -hmm. i still owe you for southland tales um so sure, i will sure. watch this one and uh <laughs> and i will report back to you Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, I will go with my other music movie on my list, which is Once, the uh, John Carney film, uh, Glenn Hansard, and I'd never be able to pronounce the girl's name, so I'm just not going to try. But uh, two musicians who fall in love and uh, push each other towards careers in, in their work. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously this is a musician and an actress, but still, similarly, people in the arts who are are supporting each other's dreams while also kind of there there's back and forth there's ups and downs there's fights there's love there's all of it and it's incredibly messy throughout the whole thing but they are so important to one another and in you know their full lives mm -hmm. whether it's their relationship or just the impact they'll have on one another uh and just incredible music i, I love the music of once yeah there it was funny that song in once was such a big hit and like in the same year a movie called Feast for Love came out and with Rada Mitchell mm -hmm. and, and had that song in it as like a big centerpiece of the movie, the, like the, the big hit song, the Take This Boat song or whatever, was in that movie too. It was, it was very weird. I actually, I never saw once. Um, oh, really? And it's because yeah. the guy who told me to see it is the kind of guy that I'm like, all right, make sure to never see that movie. Um, you, you know what I mean? Like he, he was that kind of, you know, like, I might, I might have to check it out one of these days because I find stories about two artists to be very interesting, you know, like, like two mm -hmm. artists being in a relationship of some kind, like that's actually pretty interesting to me because it's hard. It's, 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 it's especially when they're actually artists and not just like, yeah. I want to be a singer or I want to be an actor or, you know, like, no, when you're a real artist, like, I think he even says it in, in Maestro that like, you have to. Like there's right. nothing else like you, you have to. Yes. And when you care that much, like as similar as you can be, the little differences matter. Mm -hmm. Like my wife and I, you know, she's she's an actress. I, you know, I'm a writer director and we got and an actor. Well, thanks. I, I, I you <laughs> yeah. know, I just play one on TV. Um, but uh, yeah, sure. 
We, I would not call myself an actor only because I respect the art of acting so much. Uh, like, I mean that. Yeah. Like, 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 I feel like there are some actors who can just like do their job, which I, I fall into that category when I'm in my movies. Mm-hmm. But then there's an actor where yeah. you watch it and you go, yeah, like Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. Adam Driver or Tom Hardy or something. You're just like, yeah, that, that's sure. an actor. Anyways, um, yeah. but she and I, like, we've had similar paths and we got together because we shared so many values, not only in life, but in like, what matters artistically to us, you know? And mm-hmm. even with those values so perfectly aligned, like whenever we collaborate, especially it's tough. Like it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's tough. Um, and, and this movie has that too, you know, cause it's, it's, um, she's an actress and he's a composer and she wants to live her life too. You know what I mean? And that was one of the things I really appreciate about the movie is that they didn't try to say like, she gave up a life of blah, blah, blah for him. No, like, they didn't play that cheap card. You, you know what I mean? Right. Even though we've heard of him, we haven't heard of her. You know what I mean? Like right. she, yeah. she, I think that this movie, what it really captured beautifully was that she wanted him. He ne- needed her. And then what they find out it, after parting ways, what they find out with that separation when they come back together is that she needs him and he wants her to, you know what I mean? Mm. Like that's the thing that they had to learn. And it took traumatic yeah. events for that to come out. But in a way, that's artistry, too, because artists are so stubborn because, like, like not only do you care so much, but when you put yourself out there like that, you're afraid to be wrong. Like, because if you're mm. wrong, then, like, maybe you're li- like, like, everyone knows it. You know, the public right. is like, yeah. oh, Everybody else. gotcha. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, 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 and you're constantly thinking that they're thinking. Exactly. That, so, so, you know. so that's yeah. that's, you know, that was one thing that I absolutely loved about this movie was like seeing two artists trying to cohabitate now yeah. i would prefer to see i would like to see a movie where the two artists are you know doing the same thing or like you know because what was that stupid movie that uh la la land they did the same thing but like they pulled the cheap shots you know what i mean like yeah you you weren't there at my show and like you didn't come to my concert and like blah, 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 you know mm-hmm. um shut up <laughs> Like, um, but, but I would love to see a movie about John and Jenna, John Cassavetes and Jenna Rollins. That would be, especially like the fire between the two of them, you know, that's gotta be a movie at some point. I actually, I actually think of this every time I drive down this street, right up the road from my apartment. It's like, it's, I live in Pasadena, so it's like, it still looks like the fifties and sixties here. Hollywood keeps it that way so they can make fifties and sixties movies here. And every time I ride my bike up this street, I had this idea like a year ago to do a movie about. John Cassavetes and Woody Allen, who were in England at the same time, working on What's New Pussycat mm-hmm. and um and uh The Dirty Dozen. And I had this idea of mm-hmm. doing a movie where John Cassavetes and Woody Allen are at a poker game together after hours one night and they walk each other home. And like watching mm-hmm. like almost like Mikey and Nikki watching the two of them like have like this adventure trying to get home in London in the sixties. Like I think nice. Yeah, and, and uh, I might lose my weight because I've gained I've gained too much weight where I can't play John right now, but like maybe I'll Maybe I'll slim down and have Cat play Jenna, and I'll play John, and I got my buddy Lewis to play Woody. That could be that could Hell be a yeah. lot of fun. Sorry, tangent, but you know, <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait for that. It's gonna be awesome. Yep. Uh, I only have one more piece. Uh, do you have any other pieces? I do. I I have um I have two more pieces, but they're kind of cheap shots, so I'm not like crazy mm. about them. Um, mm. one of them is you know Amadeus. Uh, I was thinking about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I mean, Amadeus, if only because it's less about the composing and more about like the worship of somebody who is so good at what they do, no matter how much you hate sure. them. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. like, um, yeah. But then I also had Milk, 
which is another kind of, it seems like a cheap shot. Hmm. But again, one of the things that I liked about Milk was that it didn't, well, first of all, the performances to me are equal measure, like brilliant. Like, I think that, mm-hmm. I think that Sean Penn and Milk is like, oh, oh he's so like, it's the best he's yeah. ever been, which is saying a lot because he's fucking Sean Penn. But right. I love that they didn't make Milk look like a saint and that they didn't uh-huh. make, they didn't make um, Dan, whatever his name, Josh Brolin's uh, character who killed him. They didn't make right. it where like he hated him for being gay or something. They didn't pull these cheap shots. It was more right, tragic right. and rich and deeply complex than that. And unfortunately, Milk, I think, got overlooked because of it, because Milk didn't take the easy roads. And I think that hmm. I think that similarly, this movie is not as easy to digest because it this movie actively avoids them, which may be my only criticism of the movie, um, which is not enough to knock it down from my five star letterbox review. That it like actively avoids convention, you know, mm-hmm. but like after a year of like all these historical drama epics that are just to me just like so fucking vanilla, like Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. like, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon movies that go exactly where you think they're going and do it exactly how you expect them to do it. This movie was like, I mean, like I almost wanted to pull a Citizen Kane when I saw it and just stand up and just single clap at the end of the movie, you know, like um, because I did see something so, so free and alive. And like other than Maya Hawk, the acting in this movie is incredible, like just mm-hmm. incredible. I thought she was fine. No, but, you know. no, no, no. I'm sorry. No. no. Even when she like runs into the room at one point, she's like trying to run into the room like an actor would. Like it's <laughs> it's really bad. And I like her. You know what I mean? Like I like her usually, but like. Usually she's in movies with people who just do their jobs, you know, like Leo mm. in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. In this movie, mm. she's with like the real deal with like Bradley Cooper right. and Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, mm. what's your last piece? Well, yeah, my last piece, uh, I'm going with Birdman for my mm-hmm. uh, my final piece, which, uh, you know, this movie is just boom, 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 nonstop. Mm-hmm. It's just going from scene to scene to scene, from room to room, from collaboration to person to moment in life, and it just never, ever, ever stops. And of course, it's not, you know, trying to do a one-take kind of thing, like a Birdman, but just that high-flying, just nonstop uh, pacing to the movie. Um, and this movie is it's pretty long. I don't remember exactly how long it is, but it's over two hours. Over. And it... Yeah, it, it just it just keeps going though, and you never like really have a, a a moment to stop, so it doesn't feel long because it's just going so fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, but unlike Birdman, this movie is good. Um, but yeah, no, I actually I think that that's a fair comparison too. Um, I I I actually do as much as I think that Birdman is terrible mm. because there is an infectious nature when you see actors who love to act getting to act. Yeah. So like, yeah. Birdman, like. I don't think any of those actors... You don't even like Edward Norton in Birdman? I, I mean, come on, I, he's so good. I like his performance more than I like how it's written. Like, Edward Norton okay. is one of those actors, though. He's like Bradley Cooper, where, like, it's like this kind of unfair, perfect perfect marriage of movie star and, and actor. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, Brando, yeah. like, De Niro. It's like, fuck you. You're, mm-hmm. you're the whole package. Go to hell. But, um... Sure. <laughs> but... But even when the acting is as mediocre as I felt it was in Birdman with people, and I love Michael Keaton, and you know, like it, it just there, it's just actors having fun acting, and like I call that the mm-hmm. Joseph Gordon-Levitt because like that's that's him to a T, <laughs> and I also just love when Joseph Gordon-Levitt puts on his big boy voice for movies like Inception, you know, when he does that voice or whatever, 
Uh, what did Joseph? What did Joseph Gordon-Levitt ever do? No, he's great. Know? I love him. No, 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 no. no. I'm, that's what I'm saying. I love him. <laughs> Anne Hathaway is another one who you know I love. Anne Hathaway. Like, oh yeah. She's the same. Sure. Where it's like they're not as good of an actor as much as it is just cute seeing somebody who obviously loves it so much getting to do it. You know. Yeah. And this movie has a lot of that. Like, there's a scene in this movie in in a, a Maestro where Bradley Cooper's like holding up the cocaine tray for everybody, and it's like oh, yeah. you can like like he's just he's so happy to be making this movie you know what i mean like he's yeah. having such a good time embodying this person and bringing this person to life in a way and that is infectious whether it's you know and and birdman definitely has that quality to it where you can tell the actors were really excited to be in this movie you, you know what i sure. mean that's the yeah. the one positive i'll take away from that disgusting ripoff of cassavetti's opening oh. night um yeah it sure. is a it is a it is an offensive ripoff of opening night like like so yeah, much so that when yeah. i was watching in the theater i was like you can't do this you can't just like <laughs> this is robert yeah you can't you can't just do that movie like come on like you know um they should have uh, just gotten jenna to play the film critic um there you go yeah but that could have been they're good. too afraid cowards because then they'd have a real actor in their movie you know and they'd be like oh i don't know what to do with her <laughs> I just love that I got you to say like a slightly positive thing about Birdman. Yeah, so I'm happy. The music's we, could, good. we could wrap up the list. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it, you know. Uh, I will run down our list of puzzle pieces here and then we'll get into some closing thoughts. We talked about Walk the Line, The Beach Bum, Raging Bull, Rocket Man, Manhattan. I threw Midnight in Paris in there. Salome's Last Dance, Gothic, Listomania, Vincent and Theo, Once, Amadeus, Milk, and Birdman. Whole bunch of stuff, man. That, like all, yeah, over the place. That list sounds like a symphony in a way. Like that sounds, you, yeah, you know what right. I mean? Like, like I actually felt like a propulsion from like you just reading that list. Actually, like, and maybe it's the oh, energies yeah. of those projects. You know, the good ones and the bad ones. I don't know, but like that's, I think. Well, goddamn it, I think we did it. <laughs> like, I think, I think we did. Yeah. I think we did. Yeah, we talked about how great some of the music performances are. Oh. Those scenes that I mean, they're just incredible. The cathedral um, scene you know, in this is like. So good. Yeah, that yeah. that moment and the moment where she's in the in the wings watching him conduct for the first time and his giant shadow is like looming over her. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. That's one yeah. of those moments that I feel like, you know, 30 years from now when we're watching like a montage of the history of the power of visuals in cinema. Like I can see that image playing in that montage. Um, yeah. And I don't know, man, like, I guess I guess I'm just getting old and you know, crotchety as they say. And I, and I've seen too many movies where like, I have just not been impressed by, by the, 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 the big, the big movies this year. Like, you know what I mean? Even the ones mm. that I wanted to see like flower moon, they just have not impressed me. And this one, I genuinely think that this is the only masterpiece that I've seen this year. Like there's wow. like, I like other movies just as much, if not a little bit more than this one from this year. Like I know I like the exorcist believer is like my favorite movie of the year. But it's not nearly as good as this or anything, you know. But this, right, I right. think, is the only film that I've seen this year that I would, that I personally would qualify as an as a masterpiece. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, I can't wait to see Bradley Cooper do a third movie. Yeah, because he went wild on this one. You know what I mean? He did. You, you know, did. and in A Star Is Born, A Star Is Born, he just showed that he knows the you know you know bootstraps filmmaking. You know what I mean? Just like just like tried and true blue collar efficient great filmmaking this he swung for the fences and in my opinion or no how did roger ebert put it about maholland driver he's like this time david david lynch mixes in the test tubes and they don't explode like that's 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 <laughs> how i feel about this movie nice. so i'd be very curious yeah. to see 
if he goes further with the next one or if he goes further back or if he finds like a nice between basically he's got he's got me right now you know what i mean like yeah i'm adding him to the list of no matter what i'm there so yeah no i i completely agree and uh yeah i i think that does it for maestro even though there weren't any masterpieces this year is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our list yeah you know it's such a bummer because we just did that uh suffrage episode about uh comedy sequels and my whole thing was ones that are better than the originals and i had not seen when we recorded that episode i had not seen it until this week I watched Big Top Peewee this week. Hmm. Have you seen okay. Big Top Peewee? You know, I don't know what Peewee material I've mm-hmm. seen. I haven't seen any of it since I was a kid. I might have watched it, but I don't know. It's been, you know, 30 years. Well, I'm, you know? I'm going to, uh, I'm going to uh, play it an unfair hand for you and tell you that as soon as it was over, not only did I add it mm-hmm. to my superior sequels list, not only did I add it to my funniest <laughs> comedies list, but I mm-hmm. called my friend and immediately equated it to Kung Pao. Like, I thought it was, like, so beyond brilliant. Like, um, yeah. and it has Ramada in it from Hot Shots Part 2. Um, oh, boy. I, yeah. There's a sequence, just a, a brief, just to get you to watch the movie, where Pee Wee is having a picnic lunch with his, uh, his fiancé. And at one point, he, like, runs his hand through her hair, but it, like... He has like shit on his fingers. So like she has like a lightning bolt sticking up out of her hair basically and doesn't know it. So she's lay he's laying in her lap and she's eating an egg salad sandwich. And the egg salad just keeps dripping out of the back of the sandwich onto his face. And she's oblivious uh-huh. to it, looking at the clouds and it just keeps hitting his face. And he's just like, Ugh. and then finally he just uses her dress to like wipe it up. Like it's, it, I, I, I watched the movie in like the home alone face just, the whole time, just like, oh, I can't, <laughs> like, what? Oh, happening. like, it was so good. Um, yeah, definitely Big Top Peewee is, it's better than any other Peewee thing I've ever seen. And in theaters right now, I really like The Marsh King's Daughter. I know nobody went to go see it. I know most people didn't even hear of it. Um, I liked it. I, you know, yeah. I would have fixed the last two minutes of it. I would have changed a couple things, but I don't know. If you liked the Crawdad movie, this is, you know, it would be a good double feature with the Crawdad movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, that seems like a movie that me and Gina will watch one day on a board night, you know, on Max or wherever it pops. That's up the place to watch streaming. it. Yeah, like going yeah. to a theater was insane. Um, that yeah. that one that one was for you, Garrett Headland. Uh, you know, yeah, he's sure. he's one of my favorites. Um, he also just did yeah. a movie with Mel Gibson. Ooh, that's perfect. I have a theater movie, a past movie, and a VOD movie. It's called Desperation oh, Road. Boy. Desperation Road with Garrett. Yeah, you texted me oh, about it. Oh snap! Yeah. Again, I saw the trailer for it. I love Garrett Headland. I love Mel Gibson. I saw the trailer. I thought it was going to be one of these, you know, Charles Bronson-esque direct-to-video Saban action movies. But it was mm. actually, like, a really wonderfully executed, like, family thriller um, that mm. pulled no punches and uh, played played the hits, but pulled no punches. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it, I, I highly recommend Desperation Road to people. Um, yeah. I'm, awesome. I mean, but I get it. Mel Gibson, oh, no. I, you know, I get it. Eh, you know, we're we're past that point, I think. So, yeah, you but. know what? <laughs> like that was the other thing in this movie in Maestro that it's about. Like, when do you start to forgive people? Like, you know, uh-huh. like when do you start to realize that, like, oh, we're mostly just failing at our worst? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that. You know, that's that's the true crime of 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 human history is that we fail. You know, like mm-hmm. like you know, I mean, other people do worse things, but like you know, that really is, and and and. I, I love that we got a movie in 2023 
that was about somebody who failed to 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 achieve things. You know, like he failed, and that's mm-hmm. what allowed him to achieve things. You know, um, yeah. Trial by fire. I ain't scared of it. There you go. There you go. Joe, where can people find you and your work? BlueMeansPregnantFilms.com is where you can find most of my work. We uh, have Natasha Hall. Our film from last year is now playing on uh, Amazon and uh, Tubi and all that good stuff. And uh, uh, the sequel to Natasha Hall, Suffrage, should be out in the next couple of weeks here, hopefully before the end of the year. And then we also have a couple other movies we're going to try to get out in the first half of the next year, including a Western we did 10 years ago called Hate Horses. Um, So keep an eye out for that. And our detective film from five years ago, Tellers, um, is finally going to see the light of day, too. So nice. Plenty to come. Awesome. Well, Joe, thank you, as always, for doing the show. And we'll get you back again sometime. Thank you very much for having me. Sorry to your composer friends who didn't make the cut. Hi, this is Wax Tracks Records here on 2909 South Decatur. We buy all your old 45s, your old albums, any type of music memorabilia. Also, we sell music memorabilia, albums, CDs, and a lot. Come on down to Wax Tracks, 2909 South Decatur, or give me a call at 702-362-4300. Thank you very much. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Maestro with Joe Black. Thanks to Joe Black for joining us. And thank you to you for listening. If you're enjoying Piecing It Together, please make sure you are subscribed wherever it is that you're listening. And if you can, we would really appreciate your five-star ratings and reviews, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Good Pod, Spotify. Drop a little five-star rating and review. It would be very helpful to make sure more people check out the show. I'm looking forward to a whole new year of this podcast. we got a lot of movies to cover. Get into some special episodes here in a moment, but then we will get into all kinds of new movies in 2024. So, again, thank you for being out there. Make sure you're following us on social media at PiecingPod. Join the Facebook group Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And don't forget about that Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Rosen. You can get... Bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, Awesome Movie Year, and My Music Career. And speaking of my music career, let's close this out with a piece of music. And I was trying to think, what is a good, big, epic, you know, dramatic piece of music? You know, obviously I'm not a uh, uh, Bernstein-style composer. Uh, I make stuff that's a little more electronic in nature, but this is a good piece for uh, big and, and dramatic uh, this is a track called The Garden from my self-titled album, David Rosen. Uh, definitely, you could see some drama. If I knew what conductors were doing, uh, maybe I could mimic a conductor, you know, waving the batons around. Are they even called batons? I don't know. But, uh, you know, you could picture that happening to this music. So this is The Garden from my album, David Rosen. And I hope you enjoy it. And we'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.